Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Cut the Shit. A podcast that takes a closer look at the IT industry, both the good and the bad. My name is Cameron Plato. And I'm Brian Law. And I'm Brian Link. Today, on episode three, we're going to get a little personal. In our first two episodes, you heard a somewhat stream-of-consciousness group conversation between me and the two co-founders, Brian Law and Cameron Plato. We wanted to set up why we are doing this podcast, what our goals are, and some of the main industry issues that frustrate us. Nothing wrong with that, but we thought, since this is a brand new series, we should take a step back and properly introduce the people you were hearing from. And we're going to start today with a one-on-one with Cameron Plato, our CEO and one of the original co-founders. Cameron, thanks again for agreeing to go under the microscope with me. Thanks, Link. All right, so let's just jump right in. Um, before we kind of get to some you know, straightforward questions, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got started in IT? So... Um... I was in the music business back at the time Napster started to take off, and uh, I quickly realized you couldn't make music in the uh, money in the music business. Couldn't make music in the music business at that time either, it seemed. So um, I, had, I was dating a girl whose dad was the CIO of a company here in Nashville, and he had said, Hey, look, you know, you're doing all this work with computers in your day job. Why don't you come over here and do it for some cash so you can at least afford to take my daughter to dinner? And uh, that's exactly how it started. So uh, I worked on the service desk for some time and, uh, you know, bottom of the barrel uh, in terms of what, what I didn't know and uh, worked my way up through director of IT uh, at that organization. It was a billion dollar company. We probably had about 10,000 employees or so at the time. So, uh, you know, it was quite a, quite a climb up the corporate ladder pretty quick. Um, I ended up frustrated with a lot of the vendors and supposed partners that we had as an organization, you know, everybody and their brother's trying to sell you something, especially when you're in the news. So uh, I decided that maybe I could fix that. I could change that experience. And so I decided to jump ship and go over to the, uh, the supply side, if you will, or to the, the VAR side of the world um, to hopefully craft an experience that was more in line with what I expected uh, as a buyer. Um, I went in that as a technical leader, uh, led an engineering team for a VAR, uh, a national VAR, uh, for a bit, and then realized very quickly the sales team I felt was in my way, and I thought I could do that better, and so I stepped out. And, and by the way, all along, you always start with great plans, but you think you can do it better, and you realize it's an uphill battle, and not everybody's doing a bad job because they're incapable. It, there's, there's a lot of hurdles in there. So uh, needless to so say. So hang on, hang on just for a second. So, so VAR, value-added reseller. Tell us a little bit about what what were you guys selling? That could be a lot of different things. Sure. Yeah. So we sold everything from uh, you know end user computing devices back to uh, infrastructure in the data center. I, I tended to lean more towards data center infrastructure, network infrastructure, just because that was my background. Uh, I've always networking's been the, the core of my my skill set and focus. Um, there for a time, I was a well-decorated Novell engineer. So if that dates me some, that'll give you a sense of how, how long I've been in there. You're so young, Cameron. Yeah, You're so Novell, young. Right? Um, so Half uh, of our audience has no idea what Novell is. Netware, so baby. E- back in the, the IPX, SPX days, before TCB IP took over. So... Uh, Banyan vines, even you know, I've got some. I've got in some case you, in case we need to establish here. our nerd bona fides, we just did. Yeah, there we go. Uh, that was for you guys. Um, so, uh, but yeah, what did we sell? It's primarily data center infrastructure uh, and gotcha. professional services to employ that sort of thing. Um, I, you know, it was at a time in the industry where 
virtualization wasn't really mainstream yet, so there was a lot of capacity of stuff uh, moving around, and, and frankly, very inefficient uh, use of resources. I mean, I'd be surprised if anything we sold ever got more than thirty percent utilization. So it was it was right at the time when uh, the wave of the, the move towards consolidation and uh, virtualization was just getting started. This is probably in the 2003, uh, four timeline is right. when, when we really started to dial things up. And, and uh, uh, But yeah, I hope does that answer your question. Yeah, yeah, it does. I just wanted to get a sense of what, what got you to, you know, kind of the plow story, which, you know, I know the timeline obviously kicks in, you know, 2011, 2012, but it kind of, went back a couple of years, I think, before that. I think you and Brian got to know each other in late the late 2000s. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. So um, Brian led a telecom sales team, if you will, uh, when I first met him at a national level. Uh, he had, I think, a thousand or so sales reps. I mean, it was, it was a big organization. But he happened to you know, lay his head in Nashville on Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays, and then he was out on the road again. So one of his top reps had... I had a relationship with the same company he worked for, uh, and we had mutual clients. And since you know, I, I brought attention to the fact that I was in networking. You know, there's always telecom associated with networking. So, right. uh, I had a relationship with one of his sellers, and uh, you know, the guy kept trying to. He's like, "You got to meet Brian Law." He's like, "The things you're saying, the the way you're approaching things, you know, your your sort of philosophies and ideologies here." are so similar to that of Brian's. You guys really need to meet. And both Brian and I were busy, and I think we didn't really feel like we needed any more friends. We, we had enough, and there was enough going on. So uh, reluctantly, one day we met. Uh, and you know what? It was kind of one of those love at first sights things. We, we were like, you know what? Hey, man, we really are kind of cut from the same cloth. we got the same vision. Same man, we love, we love a bromance story. Yeah, I love it was, a bromance story. You know, it was at Cracker Barrel uh, for our sponsor, Cracker Barrel. Uh, we sat at Cracker Barrel uh, from about <laughs> 7 a.m. to... Uh, God, we were probably there till 1 p.m. I mean, we, we really just set aside a bunch of time just to compare and contrast all of the, these things. And we decided that, you know what, man, we, we really should stay in touch. So this was in some, I think, probably 2006 or 2007. Um, fast forward to about 2009, I decided the changes in the industry, the company I was working for had been sold uh, off to a, a larger organization that was rolling us up. And, you know, it just was not satisfying, wasn't rewarding. There was a lot of hurdles that needed to be jumped that just were unnecessary and frankly were impacting our clients. And so I said to hell with it, took my ball and went home uh, and left. Started a new company with a couple of the guys I had worked with before. Uh, and uh, Brian was supposed to come and join that company at that time. The way things work, as they always do, um, the company Brian was with offered him a position to take over the channel, indirect sales, for the entire U.S. And it, frankly, it was just an offer that was too good uh, to pass up. And so Brian reluctantly took that position and with hopes that he could join up with us at a later date. Um, you know, it was all kind of still in his heart. So uh, fast forward a couple years down the road and Brian decided, hey, it's time to come over. Uh, I had some partnership challenges with my existing partners in that business. You can imagine they were a little frustrated with the fact that here comes this guy that hasn't been here for the two years of the heavy lifting to build the company. He's just going to come in as an equal share sure. holder. Uh, so that created some friction, to say the least. But I had such a, a, a strong connection to Brian and the way he operates and what he wanted to do and what we wanted to do with that shared vision that I had a tough decision to make. And that was, do I 
you know, fight this tooth and nail and incorporate him into the organ existing organization, or do I, uh, you know, cut bait and start over again uh, with, uh, with with Brian the way I'd intended to? And you know, the the vision at that point was so we were so both of us were so bull. Uh, bullish on this idea of cloud services and telecom and network services and you know hosted managed services being the future that the blessing in disguise was by getting with Brian we had to start over and we had a non-compete we couldn't sell traditional IT assets we couldn't sell traditional resources so we were forced right. into this managed services subscription telecom hosting space we, we, we just couldn't do anything else for the first three years um, so uh, it was a blessing in disguise that, that we were locked out of the market and we were forced to do things the way we intended to do long term. But it just made things a little Why, why do you say it's a blessing in disguise? Uh, what what it, do you mean by that? Well, it's very easy in this business, the IT business, to get back into the legacy way of doing things. You can sell one big deal with a lot of equipment, make a bunch of money up front, and that money sits, you know, and you, you, you go do another deal and so on and so forth. All that cash flow comes up front. The move to from legacy VARs or traditional resellers, uh, integrators, if you will, into this modern era is very difficult. You've, you're staffed up and your cash flow requirements are typically built around these one-time deals, these you know, big chunks of cash coming in. Uh, right. And when you, when you move to these managed services deals or these, these subscription hosted deals, you know, it may all add up in the end, but it's a whole bunch of nickels. Like they just come in a little bit at a time. And right. so, it's, it's tough to build a business and it's certainly difficult to staff a business around uh, this annuity that has to build up some volume before you know things are stable. Now, I'd like to say this blessing in disguise because you look at uncertainty in the marketplace, such as what we've had with this last couple of years with COVID, you know, if we had to deal with, if we were de fully dependent upon uh, one-time project type revenue to keep the company afloat, we'd be out of luck. I mean, People, people pause right. doing projects. You've got a bunch of mouths to feed. You've got a bunch of employees. That, that gets really tough if you don't have that annuity stream built up enough to support things. So that's why I say it's a blessing in disguise. It would, it would have been too yeah, easy to Getting over that back. initial hump is the, is the challenge, yes. right? And, and the, the allure of being able to get those front-end commissions from larger sales because that wasn't there sort of pushed you maybe a little faster in that direction than you would have gone. For sure. And, you know, the previous company that I had that we you know, intend to have Brian come along with, um, you know, even as under my leadership, it was it was our MO to drive recurring residual revenue, you know, more subscription model and hosted services, managed services. But, you know, rest assured when the going got tough, it was easier to go out and sell one time deals and get the money in the business. And it so, so right. we had become exactly what we had set, set out to not be. So it wasn't that hard for me to make a decision to say to hell with it and cut bait on that organization and move on. Uh, you know, there's days of remorse you. where you feel like you could have maybe done more with that, but that's in the early stages. You know, we're nine years into this now and, you know, we've, we've been uh, headstrong on, on, on doing it the way we want to do it and you know, good or bad. I, I don't know. Uh, but it, uh, I think ultimately Depends it's led day, us to right? the right place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're, I'm happy with where we're at. So. Okay. Well that, I mean, let's, Let's transition just a, just a smidge. Let's go. So since starting Plow, and, and you think about the industry, and you've seen a bunch of trends and changes in nine in nine years, um, what what change or lack of change has surprised you the most as you sort of look back? Um, that's a great question. You know, I don't think that change is surprising to be of any sort. Uh, there's always constant change in this space. I mean, that's the one thing that I find. Look, I, I think there's really 
three people. This is probably going to offend folks, but there's three people that are into IT. Nerds, mathematicians, and musicians. Uh, that for whatever reason, they seem to flock to it. And I don't know if it's just a, uh, a right brain, left brain thing or whatever it is, but uh, it, I, I, I'm excited. I get a little nerded out. I'm a musician by trade, but the, uh, the, I get a little nerded out in the IT industry because there's just constant creativity and innovation and reinvention. And that's exciting to me to see it. It's cool, but it's exciting to me when you see it get put to good use, when you see the, the true right. impact of, of this innovation over time. So I'd say not, not much surprises me. There's a bunch of smart people working on some really difficult things, and they oftentimes put it to good use. Um, the things that surprise me by inaction uh, are the industry's tolerance, uh, the organization, uh, organization's tolerance for um, uh, lack of production or lack of outcomes is always surprising to me. I literally think that, you know, every, every, every day I wake up thinking that, that something's got to change. Like we got to start holding the expense and the complexity and the investment of time and effort and resources into these um, you know, technical solutions accountable for outcomes, accountable for delivery. And some, yet some reason year after year after year, we find our clients or just the consumers as a whole being tolerant to these solutions, which are extremely expensive solutions typically, uh, we, we can be tolerant to the failure to, to deliver. That, that, that always surprises me like it's a new thing every day that, that we just continue. What's your theory on that? I, I have one. I'm curious what yours is. Um, you know, I think it's complexity. I think complexity, at least my, my theory is that, that there's always a shiny object to, to refocus your attention on. And where there's complexity, I think that you find people who are perfectly capable of understanding what all this stuff it does or is supposed to do. But I think they get overwhelmed and frustrated with it. And so they just throw up their hands and say to hell with it and move on. That's my thought. What's gotcha. yours? Yeah, mine's more uh, uh, the David Copperfield theory. I, I think technology is so much like magic. And for most of us, even though we're theoretically digital natives now, um, we've watched this stuff unfold and really change so dramatically right before our eyes that it seems like magic. And so we, I think, almost emotionally think we can't understand it in the same way that somehow we would um, think about people as an investment or an expectation of return from having people do certain things, even though there's probably a great case to be made that we're very poor at managing HR resources as well, but we certainly expect to be able to understand um, what return we should get from those assets. And we just don't seem to think about technology the same way. And the only thing I can think of is that there's something, there's, there's a little bit of pixie dust around it that sort of blinds us. We'll go with I don't know your if that's answer. true, but I think that's a good you know, answer. That's, I think there's certainly, there it's fun. I get to, to talk that. about magicians. So, you know, yeah. like, I can't beat that. Me, me, um, I'll agree with you on that. Um, so I, nothing changes, you know, I mean, nothing surprises you. Lots of changes. What, when you kind of look forward, not, not real far, well, let's not play future casting, but near term, you know, in the, in the near term, maybe next two, three years, what, what excites you the most when you think about trends in IT? If you were to give the listener um, one choice, I would bet the vast majority of listeners would guess what my answer is going to be uh, accurately. Uh, so go ahead and write it down. I was going to say, we'll have yeah. to ask now. On-demand capacity. 
uh, on-demand resourcing and uh, that obviously is cloud, right? The the, the potential that the interconnectivity and that the cloud offers is immense. And it's just barely being tapped by what I would call the traditional IT consumer. People in the SaaS space, people in the you know the the hosting space, they, they get it. Uh, they've been doing it all along. At least if they're smart, they have been. But it feels like the consumers are just now starting to embrace it. And um, so, I, so I think that 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 and leveraging the power of AI uh, is and really truly that can probably only be reasonably accomplished by the general consuming uh, you know, public through cloud services. So. Leveraging AI, I think, is going to be uh, the, the the game changers. Um, you look at some of the practical applications of that, like uh, in the healthcare space specifically, like decision support. Um, you know, you if you look at doctors, you look at what doctors do today. I mean, the the value in being a doctor or the value of doctors is an experience. It's a way they can um, assimilate all of the experiences they've had, all the things they've seen, to try to come to a reasonable conclusion or hypothesis. Where now you've got you know massive scale computing resources making all that decision at at uh, at a scale that's so far beyond what any individual human can contribute or even a board or a panel of experts can contribute. So you kind of look at the role of like a, a healthcare provider; they become more of a priest. You know, they're more like saying, "Hey, this is this is to make you feel better," but this is what the data says. So you know, those that's the how powerful this stuff is when applied properly. Um, so yeah, that that the ability to embrace and secure, uh, securely embrace, maybe better said, cloud resources and leveraging AI. Those are the two things. I know you asked me for one; I gave you two. But. No, no, I, 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 that's fine. And when I think about on-demand computing and on-demand resources, right, it kind of feels like we spent two decades building up infrastructure to provide uh, or handle max capacity. And now we're sort of going down the other side of the of the hill and saying, maybe we don't need that. How do we? And so, so how do we transition from that to an on-demand world where we spin up what we need and spin it down when we don't? Right? Which is a very, I mean, philosophically, it's a completely different way of thinking about the world right. than what you were describing in your early days, right? In in the data center uh, yeah. in world. I, I'll tell you that maybe one other thing to add in there that I think is extremely powerful and enabling would be just the notion of pervasive 5G technologies, you know, high capacity bandwidth everywhere all the time. Just what you can do with that in terms of sensor data and uh, uh, it's, it's immense. Um, I mean, you know, network, without the network, first of all, the network itself, we all knew it was important. Now it's critical. Like it's, it's absolutely paramount importance. You know, if you don't have a reliable network, you, you might as well just kiss all the things we just talked about goodbye. That, I mean, you're, you're only as good as your weakest link and the network is the link. So, um, you know, the, the careful with that and yeah. be careful with those kinds of analogies, just saying. Yeah. 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 The, the deployment of 5g and the successful integration of 5g technologies is also the other thing that, that I'm, I'm giddy about. Got it. Okay. Um, let's go back inside plow and kind of, as you sort of look back nine years, you know, uh, a nine year history, um, what, what would you describe if, if you had to sort of define it, what would you think you and Brian's biggest di- disappointment has been business wise? Um, so the word disappointment is kind of interesting. I, I would say usually it's self-directed frustration might be a better 
question. So get your get your questions better next time, Link. Uh, that's not the question. I'm working on it. Uh, I'm yeah. working on it. The the uh, I think early on when you start a business, you feel like your job is to convince people who are uh, who are out there that that somehow what you've built is worthy of their time and effort. Like you spend a lot of time and effort just trying to sell people on the idea that this is something bigger than two men in a truck. Um, and then you start to make compromises about um, the, the types of resources or, or people that you bring on. So for me, it's been, you know, where, where we've made knowing, where we've knowingly made compromises in hopes that a person or a resource would be uh, a good fit. It doesn't mean that person's not good. It just means that they're not what we needed. They're not what we were looking for. So not choosing the best and not not just holding out until we got the exact right person. I think that's led to more frustrations for us than anything. And I'm sure frustrating for that employee as well. Um, but I'd say that's where, where our, the disappointment, if you want to restate that through a disappointment, it'd be disappointed in ourselves for not holding true to our, our uh, uh, you know, founding principles of, of, you know, hiring the best and brightest, enabling those folks to flourish. Yeah, I, I think hiring is one of those things. It's it's probably the hardest thing to do in business, period. I think most people would agree. And and when you're in a small company, right, where you don't have as many folks, everyone seems to matter more, right? There's only there's there's less nodes, right? So everyone has a bigger role to play because of that. And so I think the stakes you know, they go up even higher for hiring in a small company. And so I, I, sure. I'm not surprised to hear that. And I think a lot of small business folks would say the same thing, that it's a hard thing to do. And then looking back, there were things that maybe they should have known or uh, told themselves a story they wanted to hear about a particular hire um, that maybe wasn't, it was clear you could have seen it, but you didn't, you didn't make that decision for a lot of reasons. Oftentimes because you really needed somebody to do something. Yeah, right? yeah. That happens a lot. <clears throat> Agreed. Um, you know, you've been in the IT services industry a long time. You've been in this game a while. Uh, and it's clear there's a number of things about the broader industry that frustrates you. Uh, we've talked some about those in our first couple of podcasts, and we'll get into more of those um, as we go along. But uh, let's go positive for a second. Um, what is something that you think the industry really as a whole has done pretty well and continues to do well? Um, hmm. Well, I usually try to make sure that any benefit that is as a result of this industry being on the face of the earth has something to do with a customer benefit. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to have to reach a little bit on that one. I, I'll say that as the industry as a whole does a really good job of giving people that may not fit into a normal profession an opportunity to uh, find a, a, a good paying career. Uh, I see a lot of guys that maybe weren't four-year college degree guys that, that are just technically, I mean, frankly, brilliant people that needed a home. And for some reason, the IT industry, if someone's creative and uh, precise and methodical and more system-oriented in thinking, there's a place for them. And, and you know, you can really make a good living in this space. So I, I see one of the sort of side benefits of it is that it's it's created a, an industry where a lot of people have found relative success uh, so and, and and they they're they produce you know good output and that, that's rewarding and valuable for them and you know customers alike so I, I think 
don't know if it's maybe a cheating answer, but I feel like that's, that's one of the, the big positives. Um, the second thing is, um, you know, I, I think that where we sit in the industry in terms of between the customer and the manufacturers or the OEMs, uh, I think we do an okay job. I think we could do a much better job of voicing the customer and or, or proxying the customer's interests and desires uh, and, and kind of bridging the gap between what the technology is intended to do and how it plays out in terms of a meaningful outcome to the customers. Not only for one, it's not, not parity like one-to-one, it's, it's more like an industry as a whole. So if we can look at, let's say, the healthcare provider industry and the freight logistics industry, there are some parallels, there are some, some interesting uh, challenges that present themselves in very different spaces it's up to us in our position to try to uh, amalgamate all that and, and to consolidate it into such a form that the OEMs will take that feedback and then you know, change their innovation cycle or change their direction uh, to, to satisfy those numerous uh, different uh, client de- desires or demands. We do an okay job of that. I think we, we're in a position to do a much better job of it as an industry, and I wish we could we could somehow find a way to get those feedback loops consolidated or aggregated into something meaningful for the customers and, or uh, for the manufacturers as well as the investors. I mean, people put money behind these these tech companies, big money. I, I think that if we could, you know, narrow the the gap between the ideation that the customer has and the the uh, fulfillment or realization on the the provider or, or manufacturer side, we'd be doing them all a good service. So anyway, I think the the first answer, the first part of your answer is pretty interesting. Um, you know, the IT industry is normally thought of as the tech industry, right? Which normally makes people go to Silicon Valley and you, you kind of get into this sort of the best and the brightest, you know, Uber smart, that kind of thing. But in reality, it's a pretty egalitarian space, right? Com- yeah. Contrast it to say, uh, you know, investment banking, right? Or top end legal firms where that's a credential driven uh, ex- recruiting experience. You can be the smartest guy in the world, but it's almost impossible to get an associate gig at an investment banking firm if you didn't go to the right school, that's for right. example. I mean, it's possible, but almost almost impossible. And IT is the exact opposite to your point. It's very egalitarian. And I think it's interesting how that it's why aren't those lessons getting learned in a broader sense, right? Because it's also associated with being the best and the brightest. So it seems to me a bit of a contradiction in terms, but right. that's a, you know, um, you know, that's a, a, a opinion editor commentary there, but it's, it is interesting that you pick up on that. Um, let's, let's kind of wrap it up. We've been talking for a bit. Um, this is a new series, obviously something Plow's never done before uh, with Cut the Shit. And so I was just curious, talk a little bit about what are your goals? What would you think of as listener goals from your perspective? Meaning, you know, what do you hope the audience who's listening, what do you hope they get from this? Well, other than not being able to get their 15 or 20 minutes of their life back, uh, I hope that they start to sense that... Uh, we hope they don't think that at the end yeah. of each episode. <laughs> right. Well, it would only be one, yeah, yeah. but um, yeah, yeah, I understand. So I would say this, I get the sense, because in my travels, I've come across a lot of IT leaders. Um, I've come across some that I think are just absolute geniuses, some of, some of the best and brightest, uh, to use that again. Um, but I come across a lot of people who are untapped uh, in terms of their potential in IT leadership, and it seems to be that a lot of the hang up there or the, the hurdle is, it's a, lonely, it's a lonely spot. You know, when you're leading... You're, you're dealing with mysterious stuff 
you've got a team of people who are typically technologists, not necessarily business people, and you're the you're the liaison between the business and the realization of all of these massive capital and or you know operating expense investments. Uh, that uh, it, it's a lonely spot, and I think from what I've gathered, a lot of people in that IT leadership position, or even in the rank and file, uh, that are. Um, they wonder if what they're thinking or what they're coming up with in terms of conclusions or realizations are just a figment of their imagination, or is this, or am I, the, you know, am I the only person thinking this, or am I the only person that's come to this conclusion, or am I the only person that feels like something's not right here, I'm getting screwed over, or whatever else it is. And so, if I could give one, if there's anything we could do, my hope is we can just give somebody a sense of, no, you're not crazy. No, this is. We're seeing this too. This is this is uh, not nothing nothing out of the ordinary. Maybe what you're thinking has merit. Typically, you're probably not thinking crazy thoughts. You're probably thinking very sane and rational thoughts. You're just in a vacuum. So my hope is we're kind of busting open that vacuum and uh, giving giving uh, maybe an audience to uh, people who have good ideas or giving people who have some curiosities maybe scratching that itch and uh, giving them a sense of um, place. So, got it, got it. Well, let's. Uh, I think that's a good place to stop. Cameron, thanks again for uh, giving some thoughts and telling us a little bit about yourself, uh, and uh, also your kind of hopes and dreams for Cut the Shit. We hope you enjoyed this episode. We'll be back in two weeks with a follow-up, a one-on-one with our other co-founder Brian Law. Brian's background and path to IT was very different from Cameron's, so we'll see how that plays out as he shares his thoughts and answers my questions. Like every other podcast out there, I'm required by some sort of universal law to encourage you to share this podcast with anyone and everyone who might be remotely interested in hearing an irreverent take on the arcane world of IT. You can find links to this podcast on our website at plow.net, on our YouTube and Instagram feeds, on Apple Podcasts, LinkedIn, hell, probably a bunch of other places too. Or just Google that shit. You'll find it for sure. Take care and have a good day. Peace.